Welcome to Clippings, the official podcast of the Council for Nail Disorders, where Drs. April Schachtel and Catherine Stiff take a closer look at articles and clippings published on all things nail disease. Listeners can suggest articles for this podcast or topics of discussion by sending an email to kristen.cnd at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, welcome to episode 35 of Clippings Podcast, where we review nail papers and share them with you. I'm April Schachtel, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Catherine Stiff. Hey, April, and hello, listeners. So today, I'll share an article with you titled, Intralesional Sidofovir for Treatment of Recalcitrant Periungual Warts. The authors are Michaela Poppins and Jeremy Davis, and it was published in the Journal of Dermatologic Treatment online ahead of print as of November 2023. Periungual warts are hard to treat and they might recur even after being treated with other therapies. Cryotherapy can cause permanent nail dystrophy and because the wart can hide under the nail plate, topicals can be hard to use. Sudofovir is an antiviral treatment that was originally approved for CMV retinitis but has more recently been used to treat warts. It's a nucleotide analog that incorporates viral DNA and leads to apoptotic cell death. These authors presented a series of cases in which their patients received intralesional sidofovir for their recalcitrant periungual warts at the University of California, Los Angeles between July 2020 and July 2022. The authors diluted the sidofovir 75 milligrams per milliliter with 1% lidocaine with epinephrine to create a 25 milligrams per milliliter solution, and they injected that directly into the body of the wart, no deeper than the superficial dermis, with 0.1 milliliter serial punctures. They used a total of 0.2 to 0.4 milliliters per treatment session, and patients came back four or more weeks later for re-injection if necessary. There were nine total patients treated, Eight of them had previously tried cryotherapy, and all the patients had tried three or more wart treatments before this one. After a mean of 2.7 treatments, 100% of the warts improved, 80% were nearly or completely resolved, three of the patients saw a 95% improvement after a single treatment. Two patients had pain, two had edema, one had an erosion, one had a blister formation at the injection site and one had a discolored proximal nail fold. All these reactions were self-limited without any additional treatment required, and the authors included a nice image of a before and after of a patient in the paper. Prior to this, intralesional sidofovir had been reported to be successful in two case reports and two retrospective reviews, but this was the first one that was focused specifically on periungal warts. There was also a paper on topical sidofovir compounded cream for periungal warts, back from 2014. I have often referenced a retrospective review that came from authors Anshelovich, Barbieri, and Kovarik that was published in the JAD in 2021, and that describes a technique which is the same as the one used in this paper, and I have found that it overall works really well for recalcitrant warts generally, so now we have good evidence to support its use in periungal warts as well, and it doesn't seem to have the same risk of skin necrosis as intralesional bleomycin. So I would highly suggest this approach if you can get your hands on some intralesional sidofovir. 
Yeah, I would like to try this. I use a lot of interlesional candida because we have it easily accessible in office, but have not have not done the interlesional pseudophobia yet. Yeah, I I use a lot of candida too because it's right there and you just grab it Mm -hmm. out of the fridge. And I like it, but I think people either respond or they don't. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's good to have a next next step. The pseudofovir, at least in my practice, has to be planned in advance. So it can never be done mm-hmm. like the same day you see the patient for the first time. You have mm-hmm. to have requested it from the, in our case, the oncology pharmacy, and they have to mix it up and have it planned and sent. So it's a good like second or third visit treatment. Yeah. Keep it in the arsenal. Right. Right. All right, Catherine, tell us what you read about. I chose the article, Onychoscopic Characteristics of Trichophyton Rubrum and Trichophyton Interdigitalis Fungal Infections, a multicentric study by Mikola Sturasi et al. He published ahead of print in Mycoses, November 2023. Trichophyton Rubrum is the most common cause of onychomycosis, followed by Trichophyton mentagrophyton Growphytes variant interdigitalis. Guidelines recommend confirmation with microscopic exam or culture, which, as we know, can take weeks and be falsely negative due to a low number of fungi present. The identification of fungal species helps to guide treatment and is important from an epi- epidemiologic perspective. PCR can identify fungal species, but is expensive and not widely available. So in this study, the authors aim to identify the dermoscopic features of onychomycosis and to determine if onychoscopy could be used to aid in differentiating between the two main pathogens. This is an observational retrospective study of patients with culture-proven distal subungual onychomycosis caused by T. rubrum or T. interdigitalis. Onychoscopy images were analyzed for the presence of seven specific patterns, which I'll list now. First is aurora discoloration, which refers to irregular pigmentation of the nail plate distributed in horizontal striae, given the impression of aurora borealis. Spikes are sharp structures leading to indentations of the onycholytic border, indicating proximal progression of fungi along the horny layer of the nail bed ridges. Jagged refers to the irregular border of the onycholytic area, as opposed to the linear one described in traumatic onycholysis. Ruin is the irregular and crumbly ending of the thickened nail plate with subungual scales. Linear edge is the continuous and homogeneous onycholytic border. Dots are nail plate spots of certain color. And striae are nail plate structures of different colors parallel to the major axis. A total of 54 patients and 72 nails were analyzed. Culture exam revealed a positivity for T. rubrum in 64% of cases and T. interdigitalis in the other 36% of cases. There was no significant correlation between the discoloration of the toenail and the type of infection. And overall, as expected, yellow was the most common color seen. The presence of spikes was associated with T. rubrum infection with a sensitivity of 54%, so not super sensitive, and specificity was 77%. Striae were associated with T. interdigitalis with a sensitivity of 65% and specificity of 61%. And 
Interestingly, the presence of both white color and ruin pattern was 100% specific for T. rubrum. The presence of brown color, jagged border, and aurora pattern was 100% specific for T. interdigitalis. Now, I would, I think I would have a difficult time like hanging my hat on a specific pathogen based on dermatoscopic features. However, I do think onychoscopy can be a valuable tool for diagnosing onychomycosis. And looking into this a bit more, there are several studies that compare the dermoscopic features of onychomycosis, psoriasis, and traumatic nail dystrophy. They were discussed in a review article titled Dermoscopy of Onychomycosis, a Systemic Review, published in January 2023 in Dermatology Practical and Conceptual. The Aurora Borealis sign had the highest sensitivity and specificity. Ruin appearance, longitudinal striae, and spikes had high specificity, but lower sensitivity. So these are good studies to have, and it would be great if in the future, specific onychoscopic features were included in guidelines for diagnosing onychomycosis, and we could eliminate the need for the time-consuming and costly diagnostic tests. But for now, I think we'll, we need to continue to send a nail plate and subungual debris for diagnostic confirmation. Yeah, but in the meantime, my notes where I describe what the patient's nails look like are going to have a lot better diagnostic terms after <laughs> I've read this paper. I know. So there is a, a vocabulary to learn here for sure. Definitely. All right, Catherine, thank you for joining me on this episode of Clippings. I want to thank our listeners for their attention. Please share this podcast with your colleagues and trainees. Let us know how we're doing and which articles you'd like us to review on the show by contacting kristen.cnd at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and x at nail disorders. <laughs>